Well, again, it is good to see all of you out this morning, and we're glad that you're here with us. Our lesson for this morning continues our series on the pursuit of Christian excellence. We've been trying to look at some things that will help us to be better Christians, that will help us to be stronger Christians. And today we're going to look at how we are to view the commands of God, how we are to obey the commands of God, and what exactly is entailed in all of this. From the very beginning, God has given many commands and laws to His people. And each, no matter the dispensation, is given with similar intentions in mind. First of all, uh, one of the reasons that we are given laws from God is for man to be able to know God and to be able to do His will. We need to know what God's will is and He's given us that very clearly in His Word. And so we have these laws for that reason. It's to prevent utter chaos throughout the world. Uh, we look at such times as the days of Noah and when man fell into complete lawlessness and wickedness was all over to the point that God cleansed the world of such wickedness through what we often refer to as the great flood. It was not that God had not put law into place. He had given laws for man to follow but that man had refused to follow them. And as we look at what happened when man refused to follow God's laws, the similar result is seen if we have no law at all. And so God has given us law for that reason. In our nation, in our world today, we understand that we have certain government rulers that are appointed to set laws for the land to follow. And they are to keep from having utter chaos. God uses law to give man a sense of morality. Uh, what is morally good and what is morally bad. Whether or not certain people believe in God, there is no other source of morality in the world. All morality is hinged on God's law. On God's Word. The scribes and Pharisees were notorious, at least in Scripture, for keeping the law without recognizing its true meaning. The heart of the scribes and Pharisees was not in the right place, though they kept the law almost perfectly. And on several occasions they are referred to by Jesus as hypocrites because though they, they enforced the law of God and the lives of others, they often failed to do the same in their own lives. And so we see that even though they kept the law, they were not pleasing in God's sight. And there's a lesson to be learned there. As we go through this lesson, our lesson objectives for today are first of all to recognize the difference between Old and New Testament law. There is a difference between the two, although they are very similar. Uh, we want to recognize that difference and, and understanding that some laws of the past are, are not meant to be followed today. We also need to acknowledge the laws of God for today and recognize how to keep them with the right attitude and heart. 
And that's our primary concern. Make sure that when we keep the laws of God, that we are doing so with the right heart. Let's begin with Old and New Testament law. Uh, what's the difference between the two? How does God give us laws in the past and also in today? As we look at the Old Testament, we see that the Old Testament is filled with laws and commands that God has given to His people. The very first command that was ever given is found in Genesis chapter 2, verses 15 and 17. Now, otherwise, we look at the creation of the world, we understand that God created the world by speaking it into existence. He commanded it to be in existence but when we look at man, we see that God gave him a command. Uh, something that he was to follow. And in Genesis chapter 2 and verse 15, it says, Then the Lord God took the man and put him in the garden of Eden to tend and keep it. And the Lord God commanded the man, saying, Of every tree of the garden you may freely eat, but of the tree of the knowledge of good and evil you shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. Now, is that a complicated command to understand? Is it difficult for them to know what God wants from man? As we look at Adam and Eve. One tree. The tree of knowledge of good and evil. Of this one tree. You shall not eat. For in the day that you eat of it, you shall surely die. It's a very simple command. You don't eat of that tree. Because if you eat of that tree, this is the consequence. You're going to die. That's pretty simple, isn't it? Man was given freedom in the garden in which he was placed. But God gave him command that he was not to partake of the fruit of that tree. The eating of this fruit would lead to the very thing that the tree was named for, knowledge of good and evil. Something that God had kept from man. It wasn't necessary that man had this knowledge to be in the perfect garden of Eden. And we understand that as we look at this consequence, the consequence that, that you shall surely die. It, it was not an immediate consequence. But we do understand that that consequence actually came to pass. Now, for what reason did God place such a temptation in the garden in the first place? That's a, a question that I pondered myself as I studied this lesson. Uh, we have this perfect garden of Eden. We have man placed in this perfect garden. He is given authority over the animals. Uh, even so much authority that he is to name the animal. So why in the world would God place a tree in the garden that they were not to eat of? And I don't know that I have an answer for that question. But for whatever the reason, God had the right and the authority 
to not only allow the tree's presence in the perfect garden, but also to give man command not to partake of its fruit. God had the authority to do so. It was his decision, and his decision alone. It was not God's fault that man gave in to this temptation. Uh, whatever we, however we look at this tree being in the garden, we understand that it was not God's fault whenever they sinned. You remember they tried to place the blame. Well, well, God, Adam said, you gave me Eve and, and she tempted me. Eve said the serpent tempted me. But it wasn't God's fault that any of this happened. Man was given the opportunity to resist partaking of the tree that God had commanded them not to partake of. Fully knowing the consequences if he did what he was commanded by God not to do. You know, in, in preschool, we usually try to teach the children, you know, if you do this, this is what's going to happen. Now, most of the time, they'll make the wrong decision. But we have given them the, the consequence. If, if you do this, this is going to happen. If you make the wrong decision, you're going to have to sit in time out or something. But there's a consequence for every action. And that's something that we try to get across to them. God told Adam and Eve very plainly, this is the consequence if you make the wrong decision. If you partake of the tree that I tell you not to. God gave them everything that they needed to make the right decision. Just follow this one simple command. But man was tempted. Man gave in to the temptation. And just as God had stated, he faced the consequences of his action. And that was the first command given to man. Although we do see others. And I'm only hitting highlights here. But the Ten Commandments. Let's look at the Ten Commandments for a moment. Turn with me to Exodus chapter 20. Let's begin reading at verse 1. Exodus chapter 20 and verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. You shall have no other gods before me. You shall not make for yourself a carved image, any likeness of anything that is in heaven above, or that it is in the earth beneath, or that is in the water under the earth. You shall not bow down to them nor serve them, for I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children to the third and fourth generations of those who hate me, but showing mercy to thousands of those who love me and keep my commandments. You shall not take the name of the Lord your God in vain. For the Lord will not hold him guiltless who takes his name in vain. Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Six days you shall labor and do all your work, but the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord your God. In it you shall, not, you shall do no work. You nor your son, nor your daughter, nor your male servant, nor your female servant, nor your cattle, 
nor your stranger who is within your gates. For in six days the Lord made the heavens and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day. Therefore the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long upon the land which the Lord your God is giving you. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. You shall not steal. You shall not bear false witness against your neighbor. You shall not covet your neighbor's house. You shall not covet your neighbor's wife, nor his male servant, nor his female servant, nor his ox, nor his donkey, nor anything that is your neighbor's. Though other laws and commands were given for the Israelites to follow, the Ten Commandments were the basic laws that encouraged all, or that encompassed all the law of God. The many other laws and ordinances would be difficult to memorize and keep, but this basic law was easy enough for all to follow without having to refer to the book. These ten things, these are the things that you need to remember, that you need to do in order to do the will of God. God made it as easy as possible for man to know and to do His will. He even had them written on tablets of stone so that they could refer to these tablets of stone and know what God wanted from them. The first four of the commandments, and also the most detailed are those that are centered on honoring God. While the final six are about how we should treat our fellow man. But all of these laws are summed up in the book of the law. Turn for a moment to Deuteronomy chapter 6. And let's read starting at verse 1. Now this is the commandment and these are the statutes and judgments which the Lord your God has commanded to teach you that you may observe them in the land which you are crossing over to possess, that you may fear the Lord your God to keep all His statutes and His commandments, which I command you, you and your son and your grandson, all the days of your life, and that your days may be prolonged. Therefore hear, O Israel, and be careful to observe it, that it may be well with you, and that you may multiply greatly as the Lord God of your fathers has promised you a land flowing with milk and honey. Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your strength. In Leviticus 19 and verse 18, goes on to say, You shall not take vengeance, nor bear any grudge against the children of your people, but you shall love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. And both of these are referred to in the New Testament by Jesus as the greatest, Mark 12 and 29 through 31. The first of all the commandments is, Hear, O Israel, the Lord our God, the Lord is one. And you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, with all your mind, and with all your strength. This is the first commandment. And the second, like it is this, you shall love your neighbor as yourself. There is no other commandment greater than these. And in regard to the command to love God, Deuteronomy adds this in 
verses 6 through 9. And these words which I command you today shall be in your heart. You shall teach them diligently to your children. And shall talk of them when you sit in your house, when you walk by the way, when you lie down, and when you rise up. You shall bind them as a sign on your hand, and they shall be as frontlets between your eyes. You shall write them on the doorposts of your house and on your gate. The commands of God were expected to be sacred within each heart observed and put into practice and taught to future generations that they never be forgotten. Unfortunately, Israel did forget time and time again. And in today's society, in the world that we live in, I think we see a similar problem. Just look at the church. We see dwindling numbers all over, not just here, but almost every congregation throughout the United States and throughout the world. Why? Because I believe parents have failed to teach the commandments of God to their children. They have failed to instill it in their children, and their children do not remain faithful, and their children after that, and and we find ourselves where we are today. May we never forget the commands of God. As we come into the New Testament era, we see that commands are given in regard to different things. Loving one another, for instance, Jesus speaking to the apostles in John 13, verses 34 and 35. A new commandment I give to you, that you love one another as I have loved you, that you also love one another. By this all will know that you are my disciples, if you have love for one another. Loving one another was not a new concept, but new in purpose and meaning. They were now not to love one another merely as they loved themselves, but as Jesus loved them. Jesus willingly sacrificed his life for his brethren, and we are to love one another to the same degree. This was also given in reference to his pending departure. In his absence, his presence among them would be seen and known in their love for one another. We have commands that are given in regard to marriage. Uh, Matthew 19 beginning with verse 3. The Pharisees also came to him testing him and saying to him, is it lawful for a man to divorce his wife for just, for just any reason? And he answered and said to them, have you not read that he who made them at the beginning made them male and female and said, for this reason a man shall leave his father and mother and be joined to his wife and the two shall become one flesh. So then they are no longer two, but one flesh. Therefore what God has joined together, let not man separate. And they said to him, Why then did Moses command to give a certificate of divorce and to put her away? They understood the meaning of what Jesus was saying. Marriage is for a lifetime. Marriage is meant for a lifetime. The way it was from the beginning, God meant it for a lifetime. Uh, 
In verse 8, he said to them, Moses, because of the hardness of your hearts, permitted you to divorce your wives, but from the beginning it was not so. And I say to you, whoever divorces his wife except for sexual immorality and marries another commits adultery. And whoever marries her who is divorced commits adultery. Moses had allowed for divorce primarily for the protection of women under the old law. Deuteronomy chapter 24 verses 1 through 4. If given a certificate of divorce, a woman was not allowed to remarry or was allowed to remarry under that uh, law that Moses gave without becoming a, murder, a burden to her family should they not be able to care for her as women were often unable to work to provide for themselves. The command given by Jesus is that divorce is not lawful. This is the command of God with the exception, with one exception being in cases of adultery. And it was only lawful for the innocent party to divorce the offender. Marriage was never to be taken lightly. It was something to be taken very seriously. And that's something that Jesus puts very plainly in Matthew chapter 19. Commands concerning marriage were also issued through the apostles and their writings. Look at 1 Corinthians 7 verses 10 and 11. Now to the married I command, yet not I but the Lord, a wife is not to depart from her husband, but even if she does depart, let her remain unmarried or be reconciled to her husband, and a husband is not to divorce his wife. Ephesians chapter 5 verses 22 through 24. Wives, submit to your own husbands as to the Lord, for the husband is head of the wife, as also Christ is head of the church. And He is the Savior of the body. Therefore, just as the church is subject to Christ, so let the wives be to their own husbands and everything. Uh, Peter, in 1 Peter chapter 3, beginning with verse 1, says, Wives, likewise, be submissive to your own husbands, that even if some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by the conduct of their wives. In verse 7, husbands, likewise, dwell with them with understanding giving honor to the wife as to the weaker vessel and as being heirs together of the grace of life that your prayers may not be hindered. And other commands are given throughout the New Testament regarding submission and humility, bearing fruit for God, perseverance and faithfulness. The list could go on. Timothy was also told to command against false teaching. In 1 Timothy chapter 4, beginning with verse 6, If you instruct the brethren in these things, you will be a good minister of Jesus Christ, nourished in the words of faith and of the good doctrine which you have carefully followed. But reject profane and old wives' fables and exercise yourself toward godliness. In verse 11, These things command and teach. Laws were important. Laws were important for the people to follow. Old Testament and New Testament alike. Today we are under the Old Testament law and so we follow the New Testament in all that we do. But something that is also very important and something that we need not forget is that just as important as it was for us to keep the law it is just as important to recognize 
our attitude and heart in doing so. So let's look at the importance of attitude and heart in regard to the laws and commands of God. The scribes and Pharisees, as I mentioned in our introduction, were guilty of neglecting the laws and commands of God within themselves. Though they were observing the laws of God in practice, their hearts were such that they were binding where God had not bound and enforcing laws that were never God's in the first place. There's a strong warning that is given to them in Matthew chapter 15, which was our scripture reading, but we'll look at it again. Matthew 15 and beginning with verse 1, Then the scribes and Pharisees who were from Jerusalem came to Jesus, saying, Why do your disciples transgress the tradition of the elders? For they do not wash their hands when they eat bread. He answered and said to them, Why do you also transgress the commandment of God because of your tradition? For God commanded, saying, Honor your father and your mother. And he who curses father or mother, let him be put to death. But you say, Whoever says to his father or mother, what, Whatever profit you might have received from me is a gift to God. And basically, instead of taking care of their parents, they were saying that I've already given that to God. So I can't help you. I'm sorry. Verse 6, then he, heed not, uh, then he need not honor his father and mother. They were neglecting their parents. Because of their traditions. Thus you have made the commandment of God of no effect by your tradition. The commandment that was given, honor your father and your mother, was of no effect because of what they were doing by tradition. And he says in verse 7, hypocrites. He calls them hypocrites. It was very strong language. But it got the point across. Well did Isaiah prophesy about you, saying, these people draw near to me with their mouth, and honor me with their lips. But their heart is far from me. And in vain they worship me, teaching his doctrines the commandments of men. When he called the multitude to himself, he said to them, Hear and understand, not what goes into the mouth defiles a man, but what comes out of the mouth, this defiles a man. It was what was coming from within them that defiled them. They looked righteous. They acted righteous. They did everything in a righteous manner. And the people respected them as the great leaders who knew the law and followed the law. And yet, they were hypocrites. Because even though they looked righteous on the outside, from the inside out, they were defiled. They were trying to enforce their tradition of washing hands before meals on Jesus' disciples as if it were commanded by God. And Jesus taught that by holding the people to such traditions, they had actually brought themselves into transgression of the law. The commandments of God were of no effect and their worship was now vain worship reduced to only outward lip service. They were now hypocrites as they taught the people the law and how to observe it, but their own service to God was for naught. The 
scribes and Pharisees, outwardly clean, appearing to, to be the servants of God. Their hearts were defiled. And because of this, they were completely defiled in the sight of God. We understand from the teachings of Scripture that attitude and heart are important to God. What is within the heart is important to God. When you come here today, when you worship God, when you offer Him songs of praise, and, and when we pray together, uh, in a moment we'll partake of the Lord's Supper together. When we do these things, are we doing them with the right attitude and with the right heart? Uh, we may be doing the thing that God wants us to do. We may be following the authority of God, but I, I would dare say that, that there are many today who are going to gather with congregations, sound congregations of the Lord's church, that are going to do everything in accordance with the authority of God, and yet their heart is going to be far from Him. Attitude and what is within the heart are important to God as we seek to serve Him. Look at what Jesus said in Matthew chapter 5. In regard to murder and adultery, these are easily recognized as sinful behaviors. But notice what He says in Matthew chapter 5 and beginning with verse 21. You have heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not murder, and whoever murders will be in danger of the judgment. But I say to you that whoever is angry with his brother without a cause shall be in danger of the judgment. And whoever says to his brother, Raka, shall be in danger of the council. But whoever says, You fool, shall be in danger of hellfire. In verse 27 he says, You've heard that it was said to those of old, You shall not commit adultery, but I say to you that whoever looks at a woman to lust for her has already committed adultery with her in his heart. In the same sermon in regard to covetousness, lust of the eyes as we would often refer to it, in Matthew chapter 6 and verse 19, Do not lay up for yourselves treasures on earth where moth and rust destroy and where thieves break in and steal. But lay up for yourselves treasures in heaven where neither moth nor rust destroys and where thieves do not break in and steal. For where your treasure is, there your heart will be also. We look at the sins of Ananias and Sapphira in Acts chapter 5 and verses 3 and 4 in particular. As we look at what they did in that chapter, we see lying, false witness. We see pride and covetousness all encompassed in what they were doing. And in verse 3 of Acts chapter 5, Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and keep back part of the price of the land for yourself? While it remained, was it not your own? And after it was sold, was it not in your own control? Why have you conceived this thing in your heart? You've not lied to men, but to God. You see, all of these sins that we have just mentioned have the same beginning. They find conception within the heart. A heart that is not centered on God. A heart that is not focused on what it should be. One must guard his heart from lust, anger, pride, etc. 
in order to fulfill all righteousness before God. In Ephesians chapter 4, verses 31 and 32, it says, Let all bitterness, wrath, anger, clamor, and evil speaking be put away from you with all malice, and be kind to one another, tenderhearted, forgiving one another, even as God in Christ forgave you. Anything with malicious intent, anything that is within our heart that would cause us to sin, that would tempt us to, to transgress God's Word, we need to put it far away from us. We need to cleanse ourselves from within so that we are not defiled completely. What is in the heart is, in fact, important to God. The commands that God has given in regard to law are not hard to understand. Now there are some things that we may not completely understand the reason for them. But it's not hard to comprehend what God wants from His people. But even so even as simple as God's Word is. I've heard, depending on the translation, that, that uh, some of the, the easiest translations go to a seventh grade level as far as understanding is concerned. But even as simple as God's Word is, uh, these laws and commands that He gives often prove difficult for us to follow. When we do find His commands to be burdensome, it is most likely because we have allowed the world to influence our hearts, pulling us away from God. Sin begins in the heart, and it is up to us to keep our hearts pure and undefiled before God. The heart also has a great deal to do with how we worship God and our salvation. God has given us His Word to know exactly what He desires of His children. A pure heart will follow the teachings of Scripture without question or hesitation. But the heart not focused on God will decide for itself what it thinks God desires. This has led to changes to the worship format specified by God. We look at congregations that use instruments of music for their singing. And we see that that's not commanded by God in the New Testament. We see congregations that, that have decided not to take of the Lord's Supper every week because they don't see it necessary. And things such as that we see come from a heart that is not focused on God, but a heart that is focused on self. Uh, different ideas as to what is required for salvation. Baptism not being essential to salvation. That comes from a heart that would rather not believe it. Or, or baptism uh, of those not scripturally qualified. Faith only salvation. These things come from hearts that are not focused on God. But we must decide for ourselves whether or not to follow God. To follow God, we must lay aside everything that will hinder us from reaching 
our eternal reward. Let's read in Hebrews 12 and verse 1. Accepting the following, accepting and following the Word of God as it is given to us by God Himself. Let's sing the song of invitation. I ask Brother Hugh to lead, Is thy heart right with God? And so, I ask you this question. Is your heart right in the sight of God? Or are you doing everything in accordance with your will? And even more importantly, if you are doing everything in accordance with God's will, are you doing it with the right heart? Are you doing it with the right intentions? It matters to God. He knows your heart. I don't. I can't see that. But God does know your heart. Just as Jesus knew the hearts of the Pharisees and the scribes and He condemned them for what was within the heart, He knows your heart. Have you obeyed the gospel? Have you obeyed to the point of baptism for the remission of your sins? Are you living faithfully for God? Is your heart right with God? If it's not, if there's something that we can do to help you, we give you the opportunity to respond as together we stand as we sing.